Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Modern Gnostic. We're going into episode 12, and today I have something special for you. I have a discussion with a good friend of mine named Evan, who is a magician living in the heart of the epidemic outbreak in New York. And basically, this is just kind of a recording of a conversation with two friends. Evan and I met years ago, uh, moving in uh, esoteric uh, groups together, practicing magic and philosophy. Um, I, we ended up going our separate ways for a while and have recently gotten back in touch with each other and have been having some very interesting conversations about the broader a culture, um, political correctness, magic, mysticism, and the nature of truth. This is going to be the first of many conversations that Evan and I have together, and hopefully we'll get quite a few of them recorded for your listening pleasure. So get yourself a cup of coffee, a beer, maybe some herbs to burn, and sit back and enjoy this conversation with me and Evan, the Chaos Magician, as we seek the mysteries. Evan. Hey there. Hey, can you hear me okay? I can hear you great. All right. Well, everybody, thanks for tuning in. Today, I've got a special guest, friend of mine, Evan Ledestri from The Big Apple. And uh, we're going to have a ranging conversation today on all things esoteric and probably hitting on some of the political, too. And uh, I want to thank you, Evan, for coming on. I know we've been wanting to do this for a while. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brian. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's, it's worth updating everybody. It's a, it's a beautiful day here in Asheville. I'm actually out in the backyard. I worked for a couple of hours today. Um, <clears throat> our store is doing a lot of the social dis- distancing stuff. They've even put plexiglass up at the registers to you know, create an extra level of distance between us and the customers. But you're really in the heart of it um, in New York. And we kind of talked about this the other day, but I, I was... I would be really interested in hearing just kind of what it's like being there right now in the, in the middle of all this, like what's your day-to-day experience? Um, yeah. So, uh, I actually live in Queens. Um, I'm right by the epicenter of one of the worst outbreaks in the country. Um, luckily my neighborhood, uh, Astoria has one of the lowest, uh, numbers of confirmed cases and it is uh, it's kind of more like a suburban neighborhood really so the density Mm. is a lot smaller um but i'm right next to the epicenter um and it's also a beautiful day here in new york um but it's it's kind of eerie because you know you're so used to the hustle and the bustle of the city and it is a total ghost town right now if you go outside you might see a couple people here and there walking around but it's dead um i'm thankful i have a small backyard um, outside of my apartment, which I have, you know, sole access to. So I'm really, really lucky oh, to nice. get out and get fresh air. Um, but yeah, it's, things are completely different now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's really weird. And I was, um, talking with my partner Althea the other day and to a friend of ours today. And I, I think I'm, I'm getting to the point to where I'm switching, um, to be much more concerned about the, economic catastrophe and um the uh how would you put it like without sounding paranoid but um the potential for totalitarian 
expansion of totalitarian power grabs that I think are going to come as a wrapped up package of with all of this. I mean, it, you know, it's funny is um, I uh, two or three weeks ago when we started to get um, an inkling that it was going to be a problem here. These were things that I was concerned about early on. And I I had several days after I went into isolation where I was really struggling with um, pretty heavy anxiety. Um, and it wasn't over at first, you know, you know, necessarily getting sick. Um, although it was, I took it seriously, but it was really over, you know, what's going to happen next. Um, yeah. the economy is a huge concern. We're probably going to be struggling with this for a long time. Um, but then also the political shifting, um, it's concerning. I mean, you know, whatever your political, uh, leanings are, this administration has been interesting and in how they've yeah. handled this really serious yeah. um and i'm being really diplomatic um because uh i'll be I'll, I'll be open about it um i'm not a fan of this current administration and i never have right been. <laughs> right but um you know I, I guess i had uh some optimism that they might handle it well and they were way too slow to act so here we are <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm also not a, a fan of the administration and never never have been, um, although I try very hard and always have to keep a optimism about things. And I've always tried to cultivate um, what I like to call a esoteric patriotism or um, Mitch Horowitz talks about having transcendental politics. Um, I, I, I always try to keep... Um, some faith in what I think are the hermetic kind of founding guiding principles of the country. And, but with this, sure. Like I'm, the pendulum swings, you know? Yeah. And I'm seeing, uh, I don't know. I, I think it's going to be, I think we're, we're moving into some rough waters, but um, sure. so you and I met um, quite a few years ago on a retreat for um, an esoteric group that, that, uh, gets together to practice meditation and magic and um, have esoteric conversations. And uh, that's how we got to know each other. And we knew each other in that for a couple of years. And then I mm -hmm. ended up leaving. Uh, I think we're going to talk about some aspects of, of kind of what played into my um, leaving groups like that. Uh, but since after that, we kind of lost touch. And I feel like recently we have started to um, reconnect again. And I thought it would be interesting to talk a little bit about um, your uh, esoteric or uh, magical background. You know, uh, obviously you're on the Modern Gnostic podcast that I would identify myself as a Gnostic mm -hmm. person. And that was one of the things that you reached out to me about a couple months ago, kind of when we started talking again. And so I'd like to kind of hear, um, have you described to people who are listening uh, kind of your esoteric background, your chops, what your interests are and, and uh, what you do? Sure. Um, so my primary focus um, is chaos magical theory. Um, and I, and I maintain that it's theory because um, it, it isn't really a, uh, it isn't really like a practicing system, so to speak. It's just a sort of like a theory of how to operate. Um, I, 
I began really my interest in mysticism, uh, I would say maybe 15 years ago. I've always been sort of on the cusp of being a, you know, full-blown magic practitioner, but it wasn't really until I would say maybe right after college, this would have been like 2005, Mm -hmm. um, I went into a huge deep depression and I was really sick for a year. Um, and I was, you know, contemplating suicide, like things were just really bad. Um, I, I was having trouble getting out of bed. I had no energy. I was nauseous all of the time. Um, I didn't realize then that it was a depressive episode, but I think that like, <laughs> if you yeah. know anything about depression, it was like, I had every single sign of major depression. Right. Um, and it was really during that time that I found, um, magical practices that um, sort of informed where I am now. So I began meditating then. Um, I, I started doing yoga. Um, I started, I always say this is like the Diet Coke entry into um, <laughs> magic, but I started reading Rhonda Burns' The the Secret, which oh, I know yeah. probably makes most people listening to this want to barf, but uh, <laughs> it really did help me. And, you know, the law of attraction, um, it, you know, is an entry point and is sort of like the basics of hermeticism. So, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of sympathetic magic really started me going down that path. Um, now, my professional study um, is I'm a, I'm a, performing, a performer. I studied acting and directing and dance. So a lot of the things that informed my magical practices uh, later on and now are the performing arts. And a lot of people might wonder, well, how, does, how do those correlate? Um, you know, I really sort of treat, um, performance as a type of ritual. So if anybody out there is familiar with sigils, um, to me, performing arts and or ritual, any sort of outer ritual, um, is a physical sigil. So it's a physical, physicalization of a sigil. And that's sort of how I approached, um, a lot of what I, knew about performance and then how I translated that into my esoteric practice. Um, so then fast forward, um, you know, to now where I am sort of going back and revisiting the classics. Um, I'm studying different forms of, um, you know, mystic schools. I'm studying a little bit of Kabbalah, um, learning tarot. Um, currently I am working on Josephine McCarthy's Quarea school i'm uh in uh, working on her apprentice program which i think is pretty amazing um and then i have a a rota of meditation i do a a little bit of um tantric um tibetan tantra Mm -hmm. Um, i have some practices in that school of thought um and then a little bit of uh classic uh classic witchcraft and sorcery as well so i imagine that most people who listen to this show probably know all of the terms that you just threw out, but for the sake of clarification, how would you, um, maybe the easiest thing to do, I was going to have you describe how you conceptualize practice sigilization and what that is, but maybe an entry point to that would also be what uh, chaos magic is because that was our, you and I, that was our meeting point was in a, a, a chaos um, magic focused group. Uh, right. So maybe that, that's, that's something that I've talked about um, on the show before. So 
let's, I don't want to assume or take it for granted that everybody knows what that is. And so sure. maybe we could just talk a little bit about, you know, like what that means to you or how you see it. Sure. So um, a sigil or a sigil, depending on how you pronounce it, uh, is basically an abstraction. It's a visual abstraction of a statement of intent. So you will find often in spell or enchantment um, construction, you, we always start with a statement of intent. And then um, I don't want to get too much into the science of it because it can get pretty theoretical. But right. um, for, for a statement of intent to be enacted or manifested in the real world, it, it sort of takes you, uh, it takes a, an act of will because you are going against consensual reality and you're going against your own subconscious resistances to the reality of something like that actually happening. So a sigil or a sigil is one of the methods of abstracting that to bypass your own resistances to manifestation right so to do that someone would um take a statement of intent and abstract it into a symbol like a ruin uh you know a unique symbol that then they would use um in, in a ritual now i take that one step further and say i could take a statement of intent i'll use an example um i would like to make 50 dollars this week right mm. um but i'm going to take that statement and i'm going to translate that into a dance so if people are familiar with modern dance, I would take the, you know, I would take certain words, translate those into dance moves, and then create a brief choreography, and then present right. that. Right. And that sort of subliminal messaging of what I want to have manifested goes into that dance, and that dance itself becomes a physicalized sigil. Right. Um, so that's sort of how I use performance as a as a means to create um you know create a sigil or to create uh i guess <clears throat> if people are out there are just getting started like me and their they their point of reference maybe may it, maybe you use the secret right <laughs> um, right sort of like my way of abstracting a storyboard or uh you know a sympathy board where i have something that i want and then i use the method of that's the most in simpatico to my desired outcome yeah, I think it's really interesting that you're mentioning the secret. Uh, it was, I guess it's been maybe almost going on three years now that I discovered the work of um, the uh, occultist and philosopher Mitch Horowitz. Oh, he's uh, great. He's, he's also wonderful. a New Yorker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think one of the really kind of, for me, empowering things that, that he said, and it yeah, I had a hard time swallowing it because I've never read The Secret and I always kind of looked down my nose at, at um, you know, that kind of magic or mysticism. Uh, but really what The Secret is, um, you know, is, is a modern, a bringing forward of a modern thing of the New Thought movement, you know, from the 1930s, um, yep. which is really, really interesting. And there's some really, really great um you know, think and grow rich, or the or the writings of Wallace Waddles or Neville Goddard. Uh, but the I thought about it when I discovered this that so much of uh, that chaos magic really has its roots. Probably no one in modern chaos magic would be happy admitting this, but like um, it, it's very the secret esque in that uh, you know the universe responds to intention um, and to belief, um, and the the way I always 
thought about chaos magic when I saw myself within the framework of it or would define myself using that was that, you know, it's a method of, of practical uh, magic or mysticism whereby uh, the engine that causes the thing that you want to occur is how much belief you can generate um, into the thing that you're, that you're doing. Um, and it, 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 it's, it's really tied to uh, something like, you know, the power of positive thinking, which again, I used to really look down my nose at that. And I used to really, you know, scorn and scoff at, at new age stuff. But uh, the way that Mitch openly embraces the term new age um, and, and talks about it as a, a practical therapeutic spirituality um, yeah, was I, I really think, freeing I think, for me. Uh, for sure. I think that the, I've thought about this a lot too. I mean, I love a lot of the elements about new age because it, it makes a lot of what I need to use for my own magical tools uh, readily available. Um, mm. I think a lot of the things that we might look our nose down about are that it is relatively naive to sort of constant Pollyanna positivity. Um, that's mm. just not the real world that we live in. Um, and, right. it, you know, to do the types of things that we do as mystics, it requires common sense. And when you throw, you know, the baby out with the bathwater, you throw out that common sense, you've lost about 95% of yourself as an effective uh, magician or mystic. Um, mm. the, the point, I think, a lot of the point of what it is that we do is if the implications of results-based magic, right? You can't rest there. You can't rest at the fact, okay, great. Now we've discovered that sympathetic, uh, sympathetic thinking, right? Creates results. Well, what are the implications of that? I think right. the implications of that are more important. So if I'm able to manifest my will, what does that say about reality itself? And then you go to the next level, which is, okay, well, what is reality? And then you start going into illumination schools and mysticism. And, and so I think that continuing to have an open-ended seeking attitude is really important in esoteric schools because you can't just rest at the bottom rung of results. Now, I don't think that, I'm not saying, um, that results-based magic aren't important. It's, it's my bread and butter. But I think that it's not the only thing that's important. And I don't think that it's, um, it, that you should stop there. Yeah, this, this will open up maybe an interesting point of discussion because you're, you're hitting on something that, that kind of, um, that I used to think about a lot. Um, in the chaos magic world, I think that we would both agree that the, the, I mean, maybe the underlying emphasis of chaos magic is results, is getting results, results magic. Um, but, but my interest in it always was my, my, the results that I've always been after have been uh, illumination or uh, at one time I would have called it enlightenment. Sure. Now I think of it as freedom with a capital F or something. Right. Um, and those are the results that I'm interested in. Uh, but there's this, we keep talking, we keep saying magic and then we'll say mysticism. Uh, how would you, like, what are the difference, the differences between those two terms to you? Or do you see a difference? What do you mean when you say magic? It depends on who you talk to, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, 
I think with now my my experience here, I'm, I'm going to draw on my experience. I magic I find is uh, more tied to bridging, right? So. I guess when I say that is that when you're when you're acting magically, you're bridging between this world and then like an inner plane, maybe and you have a specific desired outcome uh, that you mm. need. Maybe it's a results based magic. Maybe it is, um, you know, you're speaking um, to the land and you need to try to put up boundaries or you, you want to establish something. Um, I feel like that's sort of like magical thinking, whereas mysticism mysticism i feel like is more of a conversation of understanding or studying reality of in and of itself if that distinction makes sense Mm. that those two Mm. things go hand in hand because oftentimes the the larger your conversation and understanding of reality is the easier it is for you to act magically and for you to draw on those resources that you then have so I feel like mysticism is more of a yeah. conversation, whereas magic is more of an action. Yeah, and it's, it, it's I mean, this isn't a 100% thing, but in my experience, one of the differences that seems to be there in the Eastern and Western traditions, at least as, as, as I have been exposed to them, is um, magic almost seems like an end of, or not an end, but magic is almost like a, uh, what would you call it, like an effect of successful mysticism. So it's like there's all kinds of magic in Buddhism and Hinduism, like the cities, the uh, ability to, you know, um, travel through time and space without a vehicle or know the past or the future or read someone's mind or materially manifest money or items or things like that. But those things can only be achieved at the end of uh, very devoted, uh, intense meditation and mystical practices. Sure, and there's a lot of and, dogma tied up into those as well. Yeah, and I think a, a lot of people, or a lot of people that I've known, you know, say that in the modern Western tradition, kind of come to the magic side first of wanting to, you know, be able to do a spell or a sigil or or a ritual or whatever it is to. Uh, the the some of our mutual friends put it in, in a way to get was it uh to get rich to get laid or to get even oh, right, right? right like those yeah. are the the three kind of things of 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 magical interest people need money so they want to be able to do a spell to get money or to get a job or to create opportunity or to win a lover or to get revenge on a foe um or create favorable circumstances whatever it is so i've always thought of magic as you know, the, the attempt, I think Crowley, uh, I used to know this definition by heart, but causing, causing change to occur in conformity with your will, um, I, I think is the way that yeah, you define it. Yeah, and I it. think it was, uh, um, uh, why am I blanking on his name? Um, oh my gosh, he's, he's a magician and he's also a folk singer and I'm blanking on his name. Oh, wow. Anyway. Um, maybe we'll, I'll get it, uh, to you afterwards when I can remember I'm having a brain fart. I'm also, the sun right now is like blaring at me in my face. (laughs) Um, but I, I think that, yeah, uh, Crowley was talking about, you know, um, making 
making changes to your reality and conforming to your will. But I think that that's like the first sphere of realization, oftentimes with a lot of us. Mm-hmm. And and I, I think, I suspect what happens with a lot of people, well, there's always the joke or the adage that all chaos magicians um, eventually end up being um, tantric Buddhists in the end. Um, I, I think it's because you, you start to become confident and realize, okay, well, if I'm changing my reality and now I believe that this happens because it's been proven to me so many times, then it sort of gets you to question that next level of understanding, which is, well, what is reality? And then if you get to the point where you investigate reality enough, like a lot of the Buddhist schools do or the Taoist schools, you, you investigate and then you start to realize, well, there really is no separation between what is here and what's out there. And if there's no separation, then getting even with someone else seems sort of like a bad idea because you might be able to infer that what I do to someone else is ultimately what I'm doing to myself. Um, Now, I don't want to get overly moral about that because there might be times when, you know, you need to defend yourself. Um, Sure. Most of the time in our modern era, that just isn't the case magically like I, I don't especially over the west where we're like we're already super privileged there's not a lot of people that i know of anyway that are you know engaged in magical warfare um i think a lot of that is just paranoid thinking but um yeah yeah you know what i mean i think you start to realize you, you start to think a little bit broader than just the self um the identity and the ego starts to dissolve a little bit because you realize that I am this medium that I'm playing with here. I am that. Um, it's sort of like in the Hindu schools, that, that old saying, um, uh, you know, I am that. Uh, you, you start right, to get right. into that mode of thinking. And that, that sort of moves more into mysticism where you then start to explore the relationship between, you know, the relative and the absolute. Yeah, so this is um, something I, I would like to hear your thoughts about. One of the one of the reasons I feel like I kind of, one of the things I started to notice after years and years of practicing chaos magic was that most of the people who I started to meet who had say been following that path for 10, 15, 20 years. Um, it's funny that you say they all become tons yeah. of because there's definitely an aspect of that. But the, what I, what I seemed to find was that most of the people who had been doing it for a long time and some of the kind of pioneers and, modern chaos magic uh, paradigms um, ended up settling down uh, to the realization of some sort of capital T truth, which I think one of the characteristics of chaos magic, at least as I'd always heard it expressed and had experienced it myself, was um, that there, you know, it's kind of a postmodern esoteric school in that there there is no ultimate um you know transcendent capital t truth uh but in my experience a lot of people who who continue down the magical road long enough and with enough uh, seriousness because it's definitely possible to stay on the magical path mm-hmm. for your entire lifetime and never hit onto any kind of transcendent truth um but it was very interesting to me to see um, some of my, you know, mentors and heroes in the chaos magic world who, um, 
you know, ended up, it, I mean, for lack of a better word, becoming religious people, mm. um, religious practitioners and religious people, whether that religion was, you know, the uh, old Norse religions or, um, you know, some kind of uh, traditional witchcraft or, you know, tantric Buddhism or esoteric Christianity or yeah. Hinduism or something. So I have, uh, I have a lot to say on that. Um, I, I suspect that what ends up happening is that we find that these systems, these paradigms, as we'll call it in, in chaos theory, um, because they are so well established, they have rich cosmologies um, that they end up being very effective because just like in any, you know, any sort of uh, physics mechanics, uh, once something becomes strongly over a long period of time, it's going to increase in efficacy. Um, mm. Truth is still elusive to me. I will admit, I, I don't necessarily believe in an absolute truth, but then again, to me, it's always about that conversation between the relative and the absolute because here's the thing there are relative truths there are things that are relatively true however in my experience nothing is absolutely true um mm. and there's another phrase and I, I don't know if i'm going to butcher it but i love it it's like if there is no absolute truth then there may be no end to truth because if you consider mm. our own experience as the um you know, the marker of truth. We each have our own individual experience and our own individual truth. And so truths may be limitless. Right. That's a, that's a, that's a, a really beautiful way to put it. And my, the first thing that uh, pops into my head when I hear you say that is uh, the, my kind of intuition immediately was like, right, that's a characteristic of the capital T truth. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's, it's endlessness. And when I try to think about, um, I mean, it's hard for me to say what I would, it's hard for me to put into words what I would think of at this point as some kind of absolute capital T truth, but it would definitely boil down to um, a, a sense of the transcendent immortal self, um, which in my case then led to the experience of the transcendent immortal other um god or the beloved or what you know whatever whatever terms we want to try to put onto it uh and that kind of i don't know i feel like i had gotten to a point in in my practice where i i just felt like there was a lack of um a, a seriousness in um the chaos magic world and what i diagnosed at the time and something that you and I have have talked about I know we've wanted to talk about more and hopefully we can do that now uh, was a um, I don't even know the right the right words to use for it like a certain kind of um, I don't know there's so many terms people use identity politics or um, postmodernism sure. or um, whatever but it, it seemed that that more and more um, I was finding the chaos magic world was really getting obsessed with uh, these critiques of God, I don't even know how to really put it, but like a, there's so many things like a, a victim, a kind of victim mentality and adversarial um, 
almost like permanent underdog uh, solidification of self uh, around yeah. this very disempowering, angry, bitter I think that that, um, that thing. attitude um, is ubiquitous and it, it, it doesn't just exist within, you know, um, uh, chaos magical groups. I think that it exists it's a, it's a cultural phenomenon that's happening right now. I think what's happening is that there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of marginalized and uh, disenfranchised communities that are finally getting visibility. And there was no language before to talk about these things. And so there's a lot of difficulty or over um, negotiating new ground. Um, and I think that these conversations right. need to happen. Um, I think they're they're super important. Um, I think what is unfortunate is what happens is that there's a lot of fracturing um, because people take things really personally, um, and I, and, I, and I empathize why. I mean, like I'll, you know, I'm I'm totally comfortable talking about this. Like I'm I'm openly gay, um, openly queer. Um, I have you know gender question marks all of the time, especially with how you know gender is expressed magically. Um, and so like, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, language that we have to first learn. And then there's a lot of like negotiation and all these different paradigms from our sexualities to our gender, to, um, you know, to economic and class. And, and these things are all coming to a head right now. We're in the midst of immense cultural and social change right now. On top right. of the fact that we're in the midst of a plague, you know, it's like things right. are boiling right. to a, a point where it's like pretty good. But I think that's what's important to realize is that these conversations are happening. They need to happen. And it is ultimately a good thing because, you know, like you and I, uh, Brian, um, we, we've talked about this, uh, this before where, you know, you ask me questions um, and, and, you know, you're always very careful about, you know, Oh, am I going to offend you or am I going to? And I'm like, no, I, I would rather you ask and that we have this conversation and I'll let you know, but like you've, you know, you've never, you've never said anything on towards to me, you know, personally, you've always been really careful about how you, you know, you're willing to go through this debate, but these debates have to happen. Um, I think what happens in the chaos magic scene is happening on the internet it's happening everywhere where i think that um we become adversarial with each other when really we just need to have a dialogue and if that dialogue goes on for months then yeah. let it happen you know yeah it's it's a very it's 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 been a very interesting thing to be you know a middle class straight white guy uh, in his late 40s um, in the midst of what you're saying, like all of all of the the kind of social and identity changes and um, new forms of being that are coming to the surface in the world and really stepping out, you know, out of the shadows and more and more yeah. into the mainstream. Um, and it's it's hard to uh, we we have, although it's it seems like I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how all of this shifts yeah. everything because it seems like a lot of things are getting pushed to the back burner. Um, as you know, other things come forward, but uh, it's it's hard to um, learn how to navigate that space and how to be when you know asking questions are so fraught with danger and having conversations are so fraught with danger. Whereas it's it's more I know as again as a straight white 
middle-class male, what I felt like is that there is a, a big attitude of like, okay, we're going to dictate the terms. This is what it is. You have to accept it or you're a bigot. And, uh, and I've just always found that like, wait a minute. Uh, I, I, I don't agree to those terms. And I would like to ask some questions that I don't want to be a bigot. And I want to, you know, I want to learn and I want to um, honor people and what they want. And, and it's been fascinating for me, I, you know, over the last few years, I've met and have trans friends now for the first time ever. And, um, and it brings up a lot of stuff with language and retooling and learning how to, you know, use certain words and pronouns and then wondering like oh, do I what do I think about the ideology behind these these pronouns because I have some thoughts about that but at the same time I don't want to hurt my friends feelings you know and I want to respect what people want to be called and and um and it's been a really fascinating and interesting thing but I, I definitely uh, in the chaos world felt a lot of vitriol and and um uh, a certain kind of um I don't know how to put it. I, I really don't know how to put it, but a, a certain something that was that just felt very, very negative. Yeah, I I just think that um, it's important to remember that a lot of these, you know, circles, you know, a lot of us have come, have been in the shadow. We've always been here, and it's always been in the shadows, and and um, and now with the advent of the internet and social media, we have a visibility that didn't ex you know didn't exist before and so for a lot of people um this is new and so we just need to right. we need to first educate people and i just i personally feel like you you don't educate somebody who's willing to learn and like let them let them ask questions that are uncomfortable let them ask questions that might be offensive um it's not personal uh they're at least you know at least the questions are being asked and you have the opportunity to educate somebody. Now I know that a lot of people have the attitude of, Oh, you know, but that's what the internet is for. And they should just be looking this stuff up themselves and they should be educating right. themselves. But I also feel like right. that's missing the bigger win, which is, but you could be having a, a conversation and making a connection with somebody and making a friend and making an ally, which is vastly more important. Right. And, and ultimately like a huge solve because like, you know, Hey, you and I being friends, um, it is to me like a big win. Here's this straight white privileged educated guy asking um, uncomfortable questions and taking the time to try to figure stuff out. And, um, sure. There's going to be blunders and maybe there's going to be some heated words, but those are necessary to understanding. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I think so. And it really, you know, it really, um, um, it, it provides a, a really interesting space for common ground. I know, like, when I first moved to Asheville, and uh, I don't know if you've ever been yep. to Asheville, but it's, it's uh, okay, so it's, you know, it's a huge, it's almost like a new age mecca, and has been since the early 1900s, really. Um and I would go to things and it was like, okay, we're going to stand in circle and we're going to hold hands and everybody's going to say their name and they're going to share this, that, or the other. And, you know, my immediate thought was like, oh my God, what is this hippie bullshit? Like, this is so lame. This isn't, 
you know, this isn't the real spirituality that I'm used to, like the hardcore Vajrayana or whatever. And then, you know, the, the more I went to things and attended things and started to think about like, oh, no, actually, every time I ever went on a Buddhist retreat, we sat in a circle <laughs> and we, you know, we, we introduced ourselves and we did all these things. And you start to see, you know, the commonalities, um, particularly for people on the spiritual path. Like, I, I feel like, you know, whether it's the magical path or, or what, whatever, um, I mean, there's definitely... This is another thing I think I saw in, in chaos magic, at least the way it seemed to be manifesting in the United States was a certain kind of um, a nihilistic um, obsession, uh, something that just kind of uh, really um, attempted to call forth uh, what I think could only be considered like darkness for darkness's sake oh you mean like an um, edgelord <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah like an occult edgelord exactly exactly um now barring that i think that like it, it's been fascinating for me to see since i've been moving in the more um esoteric christian or kabbalistic realms to to see the incredible similarities that exist there with paganism and witchcraft and hermetic magic and um all kinds of things that have this this unified sense of attempting to contact or participate in something that transcends the bounds of um you know like from a gnostic perspective something that would might be called like you know the the laws of this prison world or the the realms of the archons or or, or our habitual conditioning or whatever sure. you want to call it and attempts to you know transcend that and touch into some sense of um, unchained, unrestrained um, fearlessness, freedom, um, and equanimity. Uh, and it, it's, it, it's in the same way with these kind of cultural things that we're talking about. I feel like um, uh, somebody who I've, I've started to develop a closer and closer relationship with in town who's trans and who um, at first I didn't think that I would get along with this person and the more we've gotten to know each other the, m the more i find just like incredibly how much we have in common yeah. Yeah. um and and the sense of what we find important and what we want in the world and the direction of the world and and that um, would never so happen i think you're, you're right it would never happen if you didn't have a dialogue if the both of you weren't willing to to talk to one another and i know that it sounds overly simplistic right. And I know that there are a lot of complications when, when these things get involved. There's a lot of baggage. There's a lot of personal fears and walls that we put up and, you know, self-defense mechanisms that, you know, like in psychological terms, like transference, that we, we sort of like attack the other people. Like we, we are, we're at a point where that we can't let that stuff uh, stop us or we're going to lose all of the ground that we've made. Even magicians, yeah. too. Because, right. you know, right. I... I don't want to sound conspiratorial, but I'm a little concerned about the way that current things are going with the administration and with the, you know, the current pandemic. I, I worry about there's, there's a possibility of authoritarian grab, which, you know, could, if probabilities play their cards, go the way of fascism, which means I could lose rights, which means our magical, um, you know, way of being might be threatened because, you know, certain books or information might be limited. Um, 
we I mean that's like the worst the worst end game that could happen but you know I, I think that it's important that we continue to find out who we are and you don't do that by shutting down you do that by talking right yeah I would agree um, I want to circle back to something you were saying in the beginning that uh, I put a mental bookmark in my oh, head sure. when you were talking about theater it's talking and about what? the kind of oh, theater yeah. and and so I, I recently um, became an injured apprentice in uh, Masonic Lodge so I became a Freemason and took part in my first Masonic ritual and it was um, you know Masonry uh, from my perspective kind of acts out the the um, the mystery schools of the past. So like a, a Masonic initiation is like taking part in a yeah. play that you don't know any of the lines to or the roles to, it's happening to you for the first time. But one of the things that was so impressive to me is I was in a room of like 15 or 20 men who were conducting me through this ritual and everyone had uh, in masonry, um, very, very little's written down, it's passed on from mouth to ear and a lot of the work in masonry is memorization. And you memorize the lines for these very complicated and involved rituals. But, but it, was like, it was like taking part in a play with professional actors, um, you know, with, with, with stage direction and props and all of that kind of stuff. And it was the first time I had taken part in a large group ritual that was so, um, for lack of a better word, like professionally done. And one of the things that it really struck home to me, and I heard somebody talking about this, was the the way that um, the way that theater and ritual magic intersect, and that like really good ritual can have, you know, should have this aspect of like deeply engrossing um, theater. And there were moments in the ritual myself, even though I was experiencing it for the first time, that I felt myself in the role. Um, that I really didn't even know existed. You know, I didn't even know what the role was, uh, but was, was just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Um, but it, it, it translated through so strongly. And, uh, and I know I've done some magic with you that involved um, your very trained uh, voice yeah. skills. Um, and so I'd be interested to hear some of what you, you might have to say about that with the aspects of theater or voice um, the, the kind of, uh, I don't know if seriousness or professionalism or what it is, um, the, 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 the well-crafted art of ritual that seems to provide the opening for uh, transcendent experience. Sure. Um, so theater and ritual are the same thing. They are one and the same. Um, so really okay. uh, what makes a really good ritual or a really good piece of theater is perfecting the mechanisms of that craft. Um, so, you know, in uh, her hermetic schools or, or, or maybe like a more Western esoteric schools, you've got the, the idea of the, the elemental tools, right? Right. To me, that is, those all exist within the body. So when, as an actor, as a performer, um, 
you know, you have those mechanisms and when you get really, really good at them, your ritual or your theater is going to be really, really good. Um, so that would be bodily movement. You know, you train through how to move, how to dance. Um, you know, maybe you have a martial arts training so that your the body becomes very uh, controlled. You are able to exact uh, that abstraction in your mind through your body. You can do that also through your voice. You can do that through, uh, you know, the evocation of sound movement intention all of that comes through the body and and also visual uh language of certain stances you've got people like uh, uh feldenkrais who had a whole code of body language that you can use on stage that translates meaning to the audience right mm. so to me those things are really the same um and it's funny as you were talking earlier about uh, you know, like the edge lordiness of it all. And for me, uh, and I know that some people out there are probably going to completely disagree with me on this, but I, for me, uh, nihilism or, or chaos magic is all about neutrality. It doesn't have any meaning. It doesn't have any slant into like light or darkness. So to me, that's like, mm. you want your space to be set up like a black box theater. Because then when you're doing a ritual or you're doing theater, you add the elements to it that you need to tell the story, to uh, enact that will that you want out in the world. And then when you're done, you pack it up and you put on a completely other dressing. It's like putting on and taking off costumes, you know, and you're assigning right. the meaning to it that you need. It's a, it's a mechanism for getting it done. Um, now, when you see something like really good ritual, my what that tells me is that, yeah, these guys are... They know their lines, which is really important. You show this first. Right. Remember your lines. Um, but then also you can connect what you're saying to the true intrinsic meaning underneath that. And when you have a really good ritual, what's really happening is that you are bridging the intention through the body and out. And it becomes clear. And clarity is power. So the clearer you are able to use uh, to express that intention via those performative mechanisms, the better your ritual is going to be and probably the better the outcome. Right, right. And it's, it's, it's um, ritual is something that I, I feel like people in our culture are sorely in need of um, and, and a way to infuse meaning into life through these ritualized dramas and actions is a really powerful a tool for transformation. We have about 10 minutes left yeah. and I wanted to give you a chance to say something about the magical school that you're involved with currently. Yeah. Um, because I imagine people listening to this might be interested in figuring out how they could move forward with what you're talking about, and what we're talking about. And so maybe you could take about five minutes and give us a little, uh, a, a little, uh, hint into what it is sure. where you're studying at um, the moment so i stumbled uh about five years ago i stumbled upon um the works of josephine mccarthy uh she has several books that are published a lot of her work is available on amazon if you want to take a look um and the first thing that i read was um the work of the hierophant uh which really describes um what she calls inner temples or astral temples which many uh, people in the esoteric world, you know, uh, utilize, uh, f you know, for their homework. They, they build basically an inner astral space 
Um, so I I was introduced to her work uh, through that book specifically, and I think that it was brilliant, and it really sort of got me going on some of her other books. Um, and I think I can't remember the date exactly, but I want to say five or six years ago, she wrote um, Quarea, which is a free online magicians course, and it takes you through apprenticeship all the way up through Adept. Um, it's free. Um, it's available online. It's at quarea.com. And um, I started, it's a self-driven course. Uh, It's really designed for the solo practitioner. Um, Now, I am a huge believer in working in groups, but, you know, the groups are only as good as the individual uh, talents of the people involved. This is a really good course, I feel like, to um, get you strengthening your own chops. Uh, Josephine herself sort of describes it as like a magical ballet 101. You know, you got to learn your, your plies, your uh, grand pop malls. You've got to uh, know how to, you know, get your point in there. <laughs> um, all of these right. things, you know, you've got to break down the body and build it back up so that it can be strong and it able, it's able to have codified, you know, techniques and moves to be able to form a, a choreography, which would be the fully fledged magician. Um, so I, I think that her, the, the other important thing is that it's relatively non-dogmatic. Um, it is specifically, uh, Western esoteric thought. Um, it, it doesn't really delve too much into the Eastern, um, philosophies. There mm-hmm. are parallels obviously, but, um, it, it is really like a non-dogmatic free school for Western esotericism. And I highly recommend it for people who are, you know, newer and really want to get, um, you know, get some strong magic chops. Um, it's no bullshit, no frills, and it is hard work. I think that's the other thing is like, you know, I'm, um, like I said, I, I come from chaos magic. And the thing with chaos magic is, although it does work and it is, it's a really great uh, framework in theory, there's no structure. What's great about Quarea is that this is very structured, it's very regimented, and you have to be completely self-motivated. So if you fail, it's on you. If you succeed, it's on you. Um, you know, there's, there's not a lot of advice given or, um, you know, uh, coddling or hand-holding. It's, it's all about um, self-driven work. Well, cool. We'll put a link to it when we publish the podcast. And thanks, Evan, for coming on. It's been really interesting. I hope uh, after we, I think we'll be publishing this one going into next week. And uh, I'd love to have you come back on. Um, I'd like to have one where maybe we talk about um, some of the uh, scarier implications and maybe some of the hopeful implications that could potentially come out the other end of this pandemic thing. If you'd be interested oh, in, yeah. in coming back, that would be awesome. All right. Well, thank, thanks for, thanks for being on and uh, thank you guys for listening. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed that episode. And I hope everybody's doing okay out there in the middle of these bizarre pandemic times. Um, Remember that while these times give us ample opportunity to focus on fear and anger and stress, they also give us ample time to embody the archetype of the hero and to press forward and to embrace a true sense of fearlessness, um, equanimity, and purpose. 
and I hope you're finding that during this time. If Modern Gnostic is helping you to do that, please give us a like, share us with your friends, let people know that we're out there. You can reach out to me on my Facebook page at Brian Stanford, or you can find the Modern Gnostic Facebook page and reach out to me there. Um, If you're interested in engaging in any of the many, many spiritual practices of the Western esoteric tradition, my church, the Gnostic Catholic Union, is starting to have Zoom services on Sunday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And we're doing discussions, meditation practices, and just hanging out and building community. If you're interested in engaging in that, you can find the Gnostic Catholic Union on Facebook, or you can reach out to me at one of my places. And as always, I really appreciate you listening, and I hope that the Holy Spirit will continue to bring you from darkness into light, from ignorance into knowledge, and from death into immortality. Farewell until we meet again.